Hello, Matt Kunkel here with another edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. On today's show, we'll speak with Ella Fabry from the Timor Sea Justice Campaign about the recent development over Timor-Leste's struggle to gain fair access to the oil and gas resources they need to develop their nation. We'll also speak with ACTU President Jed Carney about what 2017 holds for the trade union movement. But first, some union news. United Voice members at Melbourne's Crown Casino are now reaping the rewards of their new enterprise agreement. Members have secured a new deal which includes 3.75% annual pay increases, with an additional half a percent paid in two lump sums each year. It also includes an increase to redundancy pay and improved job security clauses. The deal was struck after several months of tense negotiations where union members had demonstrated publicly against the casino who had fought each of the union's claims. The deal, the largest of its kind in the Southern Hemisphere, will continue to see Crown employees amongst the best-paid hospitality workers in the country. A recently released report from Roy Morgan Research has shown that it really does pay to be union. The research shows that union members on average earn $9,000 or 14.5% a year more than non-unionised workers. A big shout out to all the union organisers out there who have heard, I can't afford to join the union in the tea rooms and shop floors around the country. On these numbers, it really looks like people can't afford not to be in the union. The report, however, shows a growing challenge for the Australian movement, indicating that less than 7% of workers under the age of 25 are members of a trade union. If you aren't already a member of a trade union, you can join online at australianunions.org.au forward slash join. In the most recent example of employer militancy, dairy giant Parmalat have locked out more than 60 workers from their Victorian processing plant in Echuca. The company makes dairy brands such as Paul's, Oak, Valia, Icebreak and Lemnos. In November 2016, Parmalat applied to terminate the existing enterprise agreement, which the AMW reports would represent an approximately 50% reduction in wages and also reduce redundancy and other conditions. The company's move comes after negotiations for a new enterprise agreement stalled, with unions refusing to accept cuts. Parmalat join a growing list of employers who, instead of seeking to negotiate with employees, are using loopholes in the Fair Work Act to terminate agreements that they don't like. We'll bring you more about this story as it comes to hand. Union members in the community of Portland, Victoria are celebrating the news that the Victorian and federal governments have reached an accord with multinational metals company Alcoa. The deal will secure around 1,600 jobs that rely on the aluminium smelter for the next four years. It is a lifeline to southwest Victoria which heavily relies on the smelter and their workers to stimulate the local economy. Victorian Treasurer Tim Pallas has outlined that the economic benefits flowing from the deal are about $382 million per year, as aluminium is Victoria's sixth largest export. In international news, at least 11 garment union leaders and activists have been imprisoned in Bangladesh. There have been raids on trade union members' homes and offices, with many more activists having gone into hiding to avoid further persecution. After union members went on strike in December, agitating for higher pay, more than 1,000 workers were sacked and trumped-up charges were laid against union leaders. In a further example of union busting, the trade union offices in Bangladesh's capital Dhaka have been invaded, vandalised and forcibly shut down by authorities, with member documents burnt and furniture stolen. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. With me now is Ella Fabry from the Timor Sea Justice Campaign. Thanks for joining us on Stick Together. Great to be here. Thanks, Matt. The issue of Timor-Leste's right to fair access to its oil and gas resources has been a long-running dispute. It's come into greater prominence in the last six to 12 months, culminating in Timor-Leste's decision to rip up the treaty known as CMATS. Can you give us a bit more background about the dispute? 
basically back in 2002 when Timor first became independent, what Australia did was they withdrew all of their recognition of the maritime international laws that effectively govern maritime boundaries. Uh, so when they went into negotiations over the Timor Gap, which is a small portion of the sea which contains a lot of resources between Timor and Australia, Timor basically had no avenue to dispute what Australia was saying during negotiations. So Australia could kind of back them into a corner and get them to do whatever they want, which resulted in the first treaty, which was the Timor Sea Treaty. Then in 2006, uh, Timor was able to get Australia to the negotiating table again. So as you said, in 2002, Australia withdrew from the UN Convention of the Laws of the Sea, which would prevent arbitration in The Hague about maritime boundaries. Mm -hmm. Was that the first sign of bad faith from Australia in this dispute? That would have been the first sign of bad faith in this particular dispute over the Timor Sea. But I mean, you can look back at the 80s when Australia consistently supported Indonesia's violent occupation of Timor and actually signed the first Timor Gap Treaty with a country that legally shouldn't have been in Timor in the first place. So realistically, it's a long-running dispute where Australia has behaved poorly since the 70s. It was revealed that under Foreign Minister Alexander Downer, Australian intelligence bugged the cabinet room in Timor-Leste during negotiations for the treaty. What was the fallout of these actions? Well, this is one of the main reasons that Australia was forced to conciliation last year at the UN. The Timorese government had a signed affidavit from one of the AusAid workers. They were able to prove that in the court. And the only reason that Australia has agreed to tear up CMATs now is because Timor has willingly dropped that spying case in exchange for it. So the fallout has been pretty astronomical for Australia. Under the CMATs Treaty, Australia and Timor-Leste are sharing oil and gas fields, which are predominantly on Timor-Leste's side of mm -hmm. a median line between the nations. How, how did that come to be? What led to this treaty being so unbalanced? Uh, largely the spying. I mean, the, there's a lot of things. It's the fact that Timor is a tiny country compared to Australia. And without the kind of international recourse of international law, they're not going to be able to fight Australia. They have to develop their resources as quickly as possible, because if they're not developing, if they're not creating jobs for their population, then their population goes into poverty and they will collapse. So when you have that kind of disproportionate level at the start, and then you don't put any laws in place to guide what the larger nation is going to do, of course you're going to end up with a terrible deal. Can you explain why the CMATS treaty is so unfair? So CMATS governs an area in the Timor Sea, which is the Sunrise Gas Plain. There's a lot of natural gas reserves there, which can be exploited by Timor or Australia at this point. CMAT stipulates that the revenue that comes from those gas fields needs to be split 50-50 between Australia and Timor. But if you look at Greater Sunrise, the large majority of the resources are on Timor's side of the median line. Median line. It's reported that Timor-Leste has lost more than $5 billion as a result of CMATs. Can you tell us what that means to one of the world's poorest nations? Well, this is a country that only has a GDP per capita of $1,000 US. They are developing, they're doing a lot of good things to try to build their economy and reduce the inequality that exists. For example, only a few years ago, they opened their first university where they're now training doctors and teachers. But the reality is, without this revenue, there's just not the money there to develop their economy and diversify in the future. So when the resources run out at this point, they could collapse. With this extra revenue, they would then be able to invest in other things, which would result in more jobs and diversifying the economy. So Timor-Leste made an application to The Hague to dissolve the CMATS Treaty, claiming that it was unfairly negotiated because of the espionage. Can you tell us what happened from that point? 
Uh, so Australia were, lost their case at The Hague in September last year. They spent a lot of money and a lot of months claiming that the International Court of Justice had no jurisdiction over the matter in the Timor Sea. Uh, that was eventually thrown out, which is why they were forced to conciliation in September. Can you tell us a bit about what's happening now between the governments of Australia and Timor-Leste? Yeah, sure. So they're still at conciliation. The Australian government has committed to negotiate in good faith and negotiate a permanent maritime boundary, which is huge. Uh, no foreign minister has ever committed to a permanent maritime boundary. With the conciliation at the moment, the issue is that it's non-binding because Australia hasn't suddenly decided that they recognise the international laws again. They're still claiming that they have no jurisdiction. They've just pledged to negotiate. And what is it exactly that the Timor-Leste people are looking for out of a new treaty? They want a permanent maritime boundary drawn halfway between the two coasts, which would be in accordance with international law. So at the moment, there is no permanent boundary between Australia and Timor-Leste? No, Australia actually has... I think it's 1.8% of its maritime boundary missing. And where do the major political parties in Australia line up on drawing a permanent maritime boundary? The Labor Party is in favour of a permanent maritime boundary. And if one can't be drawn out of negotiation, they're willing to take it to compulsory arbitration at the International Court of Justice. So it's a huge differentiation from the Liberal Party. Uh, as far as crossbench support, that's been really strong. The Greens are fully behind us. Uh, really, at this point, uh, our main opposition is the Liberal Party and the very conservative minor parties in the Senate. And what is the position of the Liberal Party and the National Party on this issue? Uh, the Liberal Party and the National Party, though they want to negotiate a permanent maritime boundary, they're still not willing to do that in accordance with international law. So we're worried that with Julie Bishop negotiating this, they're going to do something dodgy again, because history's taught us that they are a bit dodgy and that we're not going to see a fair and legal maritime boundary drawn. And how can union members get more involved in the campaign for Timor Sea Justice? So right now we have a petition online. So you can go to timorseajustice.com and that will take you straight to the petition. So fill that one out. Uh, in a few months, we'll be delivering that to Julie Bishop. Other than that, writing to your local member is can never do any harm. Uh, we want to see what individual local MPs think about this issue, particularly if you've got a local Liberal member, give it a go. Unions have a proud history of standing with Timor-Leste during their independence struggle. Some of their actions included the CFMEU leading a stop work action in 99, putting thousands of workers on the street. The ASU municipal workers refused to pick up garbage from the Indonesian consulate. The MUA stranded more than $22 million worth of goods uh, bound for Indonesia. And the airline unions instituted bans on Garuda flights. And the postal unions blocked mail and telecommunication services. This is all in the lead up to their independence. Uh, what has been the engagement of the trade union movement in Australia in this Timor Sea Justice campaign? Uh, the ACTU is one of our founding alliance partners. They've been really fantastic providing us with a bit of logistical support. They've also gave us a donation to get started. And recently they've been sharing our stuff with lists and on social media. Uh, we've also connected with a feeder union aid abroad, which is an obvious connection that we just need to have because they're doing so much great work in Timor. Hopefully we'll be having a discussion with a couple more individual trade unions in the next couple of weeks, but for the moment it's just the ACTU and a feeder. Ella, do you want to give one last plug to the website? How can people get more involved and find more information? Yep, so go to timorcjustice.com. That'll take you straight to the petition, so sign on to that. Uh, also tick the box to get involved and put in your postcode. We've got Timor C Justice groups starting up in just about every state now. Uh, so we'll be able to direct you to a local state group and you can do some events with them all around the country and then write to your MP, like us on Facebook and do all the usual stuff. Great. Ella Fabry, thanks for joining us on Stick Together. Thanks, Matt. <laughs>
Joining me now in the studio is Jed Carney, president of the ACTU, who's come in fighting a head cold. So thanks for your commitment to community radio, Jed, and thanks for joining us on Stick Together. Uh, it's absolutely my pleasure, and uh, this is a wonderful program, and I'm always pleased to come on, Matt. 2016 was a tough year for Ooh. our movement. It was peppered with some pretty difficult moments, but it was also a year of quite stunning victories as well. What was your highlight of 2016? Well, I think I'd have to say there were a couple, actually. Um, you know, coming very, very close to ousting the Turnbull government in a federal election was pretty great. And I think the thing that was great about that was that uh, as a movement, we really galvanised our campaigning techniques, how we communicate with our members, um, how we connect, and just how we campaign as a movement. And I, and I thought we did a great job. Certainly a great highlight was the CUB campaign. I mean, it was just wonderful really to see so many people come together, union and non-union, to understand the um, the dreadful situation that those workers were in and to really fight for them. It was great. And I think one other thing, which is really yet to be finalised, but that I am personally very proud of, and that is our fight for domestic violence leave. Oh, we've just um, finished our submissions to the uh, Fair Work Commission to get it in the awards, and we're going to continue fighting to get it in the National Employment Standards. I think there were some standouts for me last year. Would you say that the events of 2016 demonstrate the relevancy of the trade union movement and how important it is for workers out there to be members of unions? Oh, absolutely. You know, when uh, we're, we're always vilified as being um, irrelevant or they're telling us we're way too powerful and that we have too much power and we're, you know, we need to be squashed. So it, it's... For me, it's really about the latter. We are powerful when we stick together. We still have 2 million members across this country. It's the largest political and social organisation in the country, and I'm really very proud of that. And I think through campaigns like the CUB campaign, you can see that power, that absolute commitment that people have and how we can make change for good when we do stick together. On not such a great note, as we've already spoken about, Turnbull was re-elected in July. The ACTU ran a big campaign, the Build a Better Future campaign. Would you like to provide some reflections on, on how that went? I think it was great because the Build a Better Future campaign was really embodied for me everything that the labour movement, both political and organised labour, have fought for over centuries. You know, And this is what I like to refer to in jargon as the social compact and so it was good to really re-establish that that's our core and that's really what trade unions have fought for. I think now we need one step more than that. We're starting to talk now about what is the new social compact, what is this new world that we're going into, what, what do working people really need now out of that social compact that will make their lives decent. And with the re-election of Turnbull, we've seen some pretty vicious legislative attacks on yeah, unions. Absolutely. Now the ABCC bill and the registered organisation bill have passed both houses of government and now law. What are the challenges that these pieces of legislation pose for the trade union movement? Well, the ABCC uh, legislation, you know, is essentially about the building construction and construction industry, but it's much more than that. It's really trying... I think, to break power of a strong, militant trade union who does really wonderful things for their members. 
Uh, we do know that with this new draft of the legislation that it goes beyond the construction industry, that it will affect people in manufacturing, in logistics. That is worrying. And, you know, it's here. We don't like it. And my goodness me, we're not going to put up with it. And I think we have to be prepared to really fight this and, and show the world, and I mean the world, just how bad this legislation is. On the other hand, we've got the registered orgs bill. It's quite a technical thing and it's a, it's a bit harder to really explain the impact on trade unions. But the registered orgs bill, basically, in a nutshell, Matt, is just about stopping unions doing what we do. It's about hampering us from being able to operate as unions as we know it. So, But once again, you know, we've lived through things like work choices. We have lived through a lot of terrible things that conservative governments have inflicted on our movement. I am absolutely 100% confident we will survive these and we will rise out of them much stronger and better. So in recent years, we've seen an increase in employer militancy, both industrially and via aggressive legal tactics. Parmalat have locked out its workforce of more than 60 workers in Echuca, uh, who are in the midst of enterprise bargaining. And the CFMEU enterprise agreement at Loyang Power Station has also just been terminated, which would result in loss of pay of more than 65% for some workers. Mm. What's your view about what we're seeing out there with the employers? They're getting they're getting organised, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, Matt, they... Look- I really, for me, this new wave of really, it's basically union busting um, activity and as you call it, uh, employer militancy, kind of really came to its fore in this era with, I think, Qantas. If you remember when Alan Joyce just grounded his whole fleet and everyone went, holy cow, you know, this is amazing. And from then on, they've become very well organised. We've seen law firms actually advertising, you know, how to go about breaking enterprise bargain agreements and, and and you know, it's, it's, it is scary. I think it's quite frightening. And I think we need a really uh, firm, strong strategy to deal with this. The union movement really has to come together and be organised around this because uh, it's not just about manufacturing. You know, it's not just about construction. This is happening in universities. It's happening um, right across the board in lots of industries where employers are locking their workers out, where they are looking to terminate Uh, enterprise bargain agreements and forcing workers back onto awards where they are just really using tactics that I think are quite new and worrying. So looking ahead to 2017, Mm -hmm. we are about to see the end of the domestic car industry. The end of this industry is going to be a large blow to organised labour in Australia as the supply chain and other supportive industries struggle to survive. Mm. What challenges does this pose for the trade union movement? We know the answer, really. The trade union movement needs to get out there and I guess, well, I'll say get get a government elected that is going to be committed to creating jobs. It's not hard to create jobs. We've seen it here in Victoria. The Andrews government, Daniel Andrews, is actually making sure that, you know, we have manufacturing jobs here in this state. He's actually committed to supporting trade unions and committed to supporting working people. There are ways that governments can and should support jobs to stay in Australia, to be created in Australia. We want to make sure that trade deals don't trade away jobs. And what we're seeing with free trade deals at the moment is extraordinary. Uh, We want to make sure that young people get access to proper training and that they're not exploited uh, through, you know, work for the doll schemes, etc. We want to make sure that corporations pay tax and so that we actually have a proper welfare system that can support people with training and when they're in and out of work and they have, you know, we want to make sure that jobs are decent and that people can get access to sick leave and holidays and, and things that actually support them and have better standards of living. So ultimately for the trade union movement, we're saying, well, what's stopping all that? 
What ultimately is stopping all of those things happen? And for us, the answer seems to be corporate greed, which is what we were talking about before. Corporate greed, you know, corporations that don't pay tax, that drive down wages, that don't employ people in decent jobs, so on, so on and so forth. So I think we really have to tackle that aspect of society that is driving that major inequality. And that's going to be a focus of what we do. Uh, looming large on the horizon is the Senate's review into corporate evasion of the Fair Work Act, which was born out of the CUB dispute. We've seen bosses use loopholes to pervert the industrial relations system. Are you hopeful that this inquiry might result in some positive changes in the Act? Uh, look, I think what it will do is will clarify for a lot of us what changes need to be made. It's really forced us to put our thinking hats on, if you like, and see how those loopholes have come to be and how they are actually being used by corporations. So I think that that's a good thing. I'm not very hopeful that with this government that we will see any changes. So before the Senate review was announced, the ACTU had set up a number of different task forces about the future of the movement, the changes that we need to make, and also how to respond to the present challenges in the economy, including the changing nature of work. Can you give us any insights about what those task forces are doing and the kind of work that's coming out of them? The union movement came together to have a really you know, to use a football term, good hard look at ourselves and say, well, you know, what do we do? What can we do that's different? We're looking at a raft of things from combining our back of office activities to, you know, get better buying power and and, uh, to save some money so that we can invest more in organising and getting people to join. We're looking at innovative ways to organise and we've got a number of pilot projects up and running where we're doing some new and, and quirky things because you know what we've come to realise is the same old, same old just isn't working for many unions. Some unions it does still work well for. For some, you know, it's very difficult to organise in the old traditional way. Uh, turning back to politics again, mm-hmm. it's been a pretty bad start of 2017 for Malcolm Turnbull. He's already lost a health minister. The rorting of MP entitlements has been front and centre. Is it time for us to get a federal anti-corruption watchdog? Absolutely. The the, um, trade union movement has called for this for a long time. You know, it's all right for them to tear apart the trade union movement and look under every nook and cranny and pull us apart and then find pretty much nothing, really. While at the same time, as you said, there are these terrible rorts and things going on at a parliamentary level that simply shouldn't happen. And so, yeah, I think a national ICAC is really the way to go. Isn't this a real double standard? That it's one one rule for the politicians and another for everybody else? Completely, Matt. Do you remember, I think it was late last year, there was a front page of The Australian that uh, was going on and on and on about the EBA that was struck between the RTBU, a couple of other unions and the Daniel Andrews government to build the, the new railway line system. They were listing it as outrageous, all these terms and conditions, this good pay, this free travel on the transport, this, which to me was a list of every single reason why you should join a union. I mean, I think it was great um, enterprise agreement and the workers should be really proud of themselves that they negotiated it. But they were absolutely vilified and horrified and you had politicians saying this is outrageous, you know. And then at the same time, that real entitlement, that complete and absolute disconnection between what they do and how they entitle themselves to these privileges because they're privileges really they're not entitlements are they they're they're privileges to what they complain about when it comes to workers rights and workers getting decent paying conditions it's just it's a bit like those rich guys on boats whinging about penalty rates what we also saw coming out of those those attacks on the rtbu's enterprise agreement was a quite astounding attack really on the introduction of family violence leave for workers 
Can you expand a little bit about what the ACT is doing in that space? There's a push. Yeah, there's a push to introduce this as a minimum standard across the country. Correct. So there's two sort of strands to this battle at the moment. Um, we're waiting on a decision from the Fair Work Commission. We put a case in domestic violence leave 10 days, domestic violence leave for all workers, um, uh, p- uh, casual or permanent, and a couple of days unpaid leave in all awards. But of course, we know that there are some people that fall through the cracks and may not get that. So the ultimate gain for this would be to have domestic violence leave in their national employment standards. Other than the push for family violence leave in awards, what other campaigns is the ACTU running in 2017? Well, industrially, of course, I think, you know, we really have to step up what the ABCC and the registered orgs bills mean, uh, really raise awareness about them and uh, get people a bit angry about that. We're running another um, award case where we're going to fight for the right to return to work part-time after having a baby to your substantive position, which again I think will be a great thing. We are really stepping up our campaign on tax and uh, what corporations avoiding tax. Actually, there's going to be a, a whole campaign, a whole focus really on corporate power and how that's impacting on, on the social good or adversely impacting, I think, on on workers and society in general. We'll keep up our campaigns on trade. We certainly don't want to see the TPP implemented, the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, and we don't want to see trade deals that actually trade away sovereign power or jobs. We, Of course, I'm very proud of the fact that we had a wonderful in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander conference last year in Darwin, and we have a whole range, a whole series of campaigns that we're going to be running around rights for uh, Indigenous workers. Jed, do you have a message to all the union members out there who are listening, and maybe anyone out there that's not a union member who might be thinking about becoming a member? Well, for the latter, it's easy. Become a member. Join your union. You know, we... We really are a force for good in this country and I honestly believe it when I say it. It sounds very dramatic but I think if you look at where we are now with these so many years of conservative government, how they are really tearing at the very fabric and heart of our society that we're on a bit of a precipice right now. I often feel the only thing standing between us falling off that precipice and actually fighting our way back up the top of the hill is the trade union movement. I really believe that. We have the numbers, we have the commitment, we have the heart, we have the will to really fight. And the only way we're going to win that fight is to grow the union movement. So if you are a union member out there, thank you for your commitment. Do whatever you can to join the fight, but also join people up. You know, one of the main reasons people aren't in the union, nobody's ever asked them to join. So organise, organise, organise. Get people to join the movement and show them exactly what the union movement stands for and what we're about. That's what I try to do every day. Jed Carney, thanks for joining us on Stick Together. My pleasure, Matt. Well, that's it for this week on Stick Together. Thanks to Ella Fabry and Jed Carney for joining us on the program. If you'd like to get in contact with the producers, you can call 03 9419 8377 or email us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. The podcast of this show and other recent episodes, as well as a link to an extended interview with Jed Carney, can be found online at 3cr.org.au forward slash stick together. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast to your local community radio station by the Community Radio Network. Remember, no matter where you are or what you do, there is a union for you. I'm Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together. Stick together.